the Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Brian R. King. He's the host of ADHD Breakthrough, helping people with ADHD learn the mindset and strategies for greater focus and productivity. So welcome on to the show, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here, James. Thanks for having me. So before we delve into today's topic, Brian, uh, obviously, my introduction was short and sharp and to the point. For for the listeners that, that uh, are, are on catching up with the show today, uh, is there anything beyond the introduction you'd like them to know a little bit more about yourself? Well, just a little context just so everybody knows what informs my thinking. Uh, I was kind of a clumsy kid growing up. I had undiagnosed ADHD and dyslexia. and the beginnings of a condition called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which made my joints very lax and unstable. But surprisingly, I found my stride in martial arts. That's something I was able to do very well. And I immersed myself in it for 10 years, uh, had a bunch of different styles that I studied and learned a lot about self-discipline and, and so on. And then I started developing some other symptoms, dizziness and so on, that derailed that. And within the past couple of years, I was diagnosed with MS. And all of that, that condition has really taken a toll on my body. I don't have the coordination I once did. I've had several falls. So my martial arts career in the traditional sense is in the past, but there's still a lot that I could do if I needed to. So it hasn't gone away completely. So that's my connection to anything athletic. But what I really do these days is help people with their mindset around the issues of ADHD, traumatic brain injury, or any kind of disability they have that has been allowed to hold them back in life whether it's in relationships, whether it's in business. And I work with people to teach them how to work around the different gaps created by their disability so they can create the results they want regardless of their disability. So that's a lot of where my focus is today. And, and you raise a good point there, Brian, in terms of obviously you talk about doing martial arts in the past. Do you think that gave you a greater sense of, because of that discipline, giving you a sense of focus and to get your mindset to focus on this one process at a time and kind of ground you obviously, because you talked about when you were well, not diagnosed, but when you, 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 you first had it as a, a younger person, it wasn't in the mainstream like it is today. Well, it, when I got into martial arts, it was when Steven Seagal was a big deal. And so a lot of people were being attracted to martial arts that were similar. And that's how I ended up doing Hapkido. It didn't have all the fancy throws and everything, but it had the joint locks and, and things like that. 
And as much as I went in there with a mind on being this, you know, badass superstar martial artist, when you go in there and you encounter all the guys that could sweep up the floor with you, because <laughs> they've been at it for so long. And then at the same time, you see these guys being very patient. They're humble. And they're very thoughtful. So you realize, man, this, this is a different way of relating to somebody. Because, you know, when you're growing up in the locker room and everybody's trash talking and it's all of this competitive egos, and then you go into the dojo and that doesn't happen. It's much more egalitarian. It's much more partnership, much more equality. Yes, there's that deference to people that have their, their black belts or they're higher than you. It's, you know, treating them with the respect that they deserve, calling them sir or ma'am, and allowing yourself to be teachable. Whereas outside the dojo, you may be used to these little tit-for-tat one-upsmanship games where you're trying to be right, trying to be the smartest, you know, typical guy stuff. So I learned not only the body awareness that's necessary for maintaining balance, for maintaining your self-control, not being driven by fear, being much more strategic, staying calm under pressure, but also just how to be a better person. But in terms of a mindset, Brian, what would you put it down to, be it the difference or differentiation between the two environments, would you come down to it? Is it a nature to know in certain terms being that of being either adaptable or flexible? Would you put it down to that or just how martial arts in itself, whatever discipline that may be within that, that term, because it's centered around um, respect uh, first and foremost, do you think it's grounded because it's, it, it, it starts with that in the first place? Well, it goes beyond the physical. You know, when you see martial arts, that's what you see. You see the kicks, you see the throws, you see the physical expression of it. But underneath all that is a psychology, is a mindset. And I remember working in the dojo where when I was first starting out, everybody else was practicing their techniques on each other. And the teacher was like, okay, go up against the wall, grab onto the big ballet bar and do a hundred sidekicks, alternating sides. And that was all about building muscle memory, building up the muscles you need to do that technique and reinforcing the importance of a habit. You know, strong habits are a foundation for life. Now, I don't remember them talking about that openly you know some people would make mention of it but building solid habits that create consistent results in your life is a foundational principle and that's something that was absolutely reinforced it's like if you are a jogger you got to run every single day you know you got to improve your time there's all kinds of things inherent in athletics as well regardless of the sport where if you don't commit to that habit or that routine, you're going to lose ground in terms of the results you create. So that's absolutely something that was impressed upon me through the martial arts training. 
But and then you 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 further mentioned obviously you tried to help people, and I'm going to not use this term loosely. Stop self sabotage. Why why do you think? And I'm not going to say generalize people with disabilities have a tendency to be more of a self saboteur because that's probably been too general because you could probably put it across the spectrum of the whole population because everybody at one particular time and moment is going to do that to well and i don't know well let me just qualify that a little bit i don't know that it's so much that your people with disabilities are more self-sabotaging what i see in general is people that have been given some kind of a label you know, in, in my case, I succumbed to the the fear of the MS diagnosis because you can go online these days and look at all of the deficits. You can't do this. You can't do that. You have a problem with that. And if you buy into that as though this is my destiny, this is who I am now, and you look at it, and I'm, I'm sure you've looked into the whole fixed versus growth mindset right? Mm -hmm. Fixed is, this is the way it is, nothing can change. So if you look at it and think, this is it, I'm screwed, life is over, the, the road has run out. If you believe that way, then you have built this wall around yourself where you can't escape. You're like the little bug that was put in the jar and screwed on the cap. After a while, you're going to stop jumping even when the lid is removed because you've learned I'm stuck. So a lot of what I do is I help people question the conclusions they've drawn based upon that diagnosis. And it's important to go look for people who have defied that. And there are plenty of examples. You know, the diagnosis of, of anything, whether it's depression, ADHD, bipolar, it's a description of your skill gaps. That's how I see it. Bipolar is there's difficulty regulating those two extreme mood states. So you need to learn strategies, maybe change nutrition, mindset stuff, medication. There's a lot of different tools to help you find a degree of regulation. Is it going to be an all-purpose solution? Maybe, maybe not. But is it going to improve your overall experience and help you improve better results more consistently? by filling in those gaps, heck yeah. But you first need to acknowledge that that's what the diagnosis means. There are gaps that need to be addressed so I can improve my results. ADHD, you need to rein in your impulsivity, learn to focus that hyper, fast-moving energy and that incredible thought production, learn to prioritize it and channel it, but just because you don't do those things at that time of diagnosis doesn't mean they're beyond you. Just means you haven't learned them yet. So the diagnosis is a double-edged sword. It tells you where your skill gaps are, but some people mistakenly interpret that as meaning these gaps are here and they're here to stay. Doesn't mean that. It means this is where you need to focus your education, your self-learning. And, so I think that and, goes for a physical disability as well as like a learning disorder or anything mental health related. 
But do you think it's more difficult for somebody that is, uh, and we'll use obviously that the the mental disorder is a little, little bit easier to to explain. Is it if it's acquired it in a later life? Is it more difficult than say somebody that has acquired it at a younger age, more specifically, because that would be the case in point with a physical disability. If I use myself as the example, I know no different from because I've had it since birth, as opposed to somebody that has acquired an amputation through whatever trauma. Sometimes they find it more difficult to come to terms with where they're or their new found reality in the norm. Whereas they kind of go to most people you 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 hear of it, they come to a fork in the road. Someone won't be able to deal with it, and they're always looking in the past where I was able to do this, that, and the other. Whereas most people, I won't say associate with, but most people that are more positive way of thinking, well, okay, this is the new normal. Let's see if I can acquire what I used to be able to, or at least have an open mind and be adaptable to be able to change certain things that I can still do the things that I enjoy. And I think that's an open mindedness and obviously a growth mindset that you talked about to be able to push through these stop gaps uh, and I, I like the metaphor you use with the bug in the jar. I think that's okay. It's an extreme, but it it is a way of thinking. Well, they're going to kind of push out of that. They, they they are in a hole at that particular time of coming out of surgery. In this case, okay, what is what is the new um, ceiling for myself per se, and why um, and why does it have to be a ceiling? Uh, if from that perspective, I think a glass ceiling is probably the easiest because you can smash through it. Whereas if it was a, maybe a concrete one, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. But I think that is the way I would see it. But in terms of coming back to my point, is it the same when it comes to a, a mental disability, that ADHD or, or the likes? Well, I know in my own case, and in the case of some people I've talked to over the years, what can really make a difference in how you take on whatever label or condition you've been given is how attached you are to the decisions you've made about yourself. Like I can only be happy if I'm able to do this, you know, cause people that have MS or they get paralyzed and they did something very active. They like to run, they like to horseback ride, they like to ski. And now suddenly those activities are much harder to access. And they think, man, I, I just can't be happy if I can't go skiing with my family every winter like we always did. Well, that's not a true statement. You know, that's just part of your habit. It's part of what's familiar. You found comfort in it, but it doesn't mean that you can no longer have happiness and comfort again. You just maybe can't do it that way. So people need to realize that, all right, now we need to broaden our lens a little bit and experiment with some new activities to either replace or enhance something. I have learned, because I can't do amusement park rides anymore, but I can enjoy watching my kids go on the rides and hearing them laugh and have a good time. And then the goal becomes about their experience, not my experience. So there are little shifts that can take place. But here's one thing I found that is really, really important. And if you and whoever is listening or watching takes nothing else away from this, 
let it be this point that your ability to adapt to even the most dramatic changes in your life, whether it be health or whatever, is how much curiosity you approach life with. Well, if you go into it with a sense of wonder, like, man, can't wait to see what happens next. I can't wait to see how this turns out, as opposed to, man, if I don't win this, it means I'm a piece of garbage and I never should have done this in the first place. But keeping that curiosity, that sense of wonder, that, man, whatever happens, it's going to be interesting to see what it takes to get through it. It's the adventurer mindset. You know, you're a treasure hunter. You're going out there to see what kind of treasure you can find, and you're not hanging everything on the outcome. Like, well, if I get this treasure, people are going to respect me and I'll be able to do all this great stuff with it. And but if, then if you don't find the treasure, you lose all that. Well, I think I think that's, that's a very case in point, Brian, more specifically, because that's very black and white for people to understand. Because, OK, I, I know it's what you've said is very positive in, in, one, in one tone and the other one is very negative. And if you, you go down the kind of a, a hole with one or the other, you're going to we'll put it from the analogy of light and darkness. Okay, you're going to be very happy in one, on one hand and you could spiral down into the anxiety and depression on the other. You keep doing it over and over again. But I think the, the terminology that you use in terms of the negative one, in terms of, and I think this is where most people are at these days because of the gratis gratification of, social media it's if i don't get the result that i set out to i'm a failure so i think uh, that that's you're kind of setting you up on a hiding to nothing there because like well if you see that whatever you're putting out there to be pointing to you and I've, okay it doesn't have to be a value but if it's important to you that should be enough if it's to show your family what you've done to kind of uh, give you the everlasting memory, what is really what it, what it, what a picture is for, for you to go back and, and reminisce, uh, have that sense of nostalgia. I think we've lost that to a certain extent because it's, oh, I must have likes. I must have gratification from other people. It's like, you go back a couple of years, you could care less. I think this is where I envisioned the like, positive way of thinking as opposed to negative. It's like, well, you set yourself up to not do very well when you start to envision what people are going to think of things. And this is where you get at times from a coaching perspective, very I won't say stagnant, but you can go that way because you, you you're never going to get something off off the ground because like oh what so and so going to think of this is it going to be a failure and it's, you you're stuck in your own head. Whereas I think if you talk you, you kind of envision and take on board what Brian has said and think of it from oh, just hearing you speak and, and say it from that perspective is it, it, it the, the venture kind of mentality it's in envisions something of excitement straight away because like well, okay you have that curiosity you 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 kind of i won't say that fire is burning within you but 
you kind of have that light bulb moment going well, on. Let's talk about obsession again, because this is a place where obsession can really benefit you, is you're obsessed with those aha moments. You love discovery. You love Eureka's. So you're reading new books all the time. You're listening to a new podcast. You're looking for that idea that makes you go, aha, yes, that's what I was looking for. That's an obsession I have. I love those moments, and I'm sure I'm getting dopamine and serotonin hits every time it happens, you know? And that's okay because it keeps me growing, it keeps me learning, it keeps me hungry. And then I turn around and I share those lessons with other people and their lives improve. But here's the key, and I'm glad you brought up about, you know, thinking about what other people think, is the ahas are for me first. And if I share it with somebody else, hey, I learned this new thing today, and they say, oh, I don't care. Or I find that stuff boring. Doesn't take the thrill from me one bit. I still loved it. I still had that aha. Yeah, maybe you don't care. All right, have a nice life. But things like social media, you're absolutely right. That is, it encourages people pleasing. You want shares, you want likes, you want the approval. But you can also go on social media and not care about the approval. Because your thrill with the idea you're sharing is not dependent upon approval because you already got your hit. You already had your aha. You already had your discovery. Your needs are met. So if other people like it or don't, okay. You were just putting it out there to see if other people liked it too. That kind of unattachment to those ideas is very freeing. Because there are people that can be on a path, whether it's physical fitness or weight loss or, you know, dare I say some people are looking for enlightenment or, or peace of mind or whatever it is. And they're sharing their journey. They're sharing their path. But it's almost like they're letting you watch their journey, but they are not dependent upon you and your attention for how they walk their journey. Like if somebody gets a little pushback or somebody gets offended and you see them like trying to rationalize it or talk themselves out of it as though, oh, I'm altering my path to make you happy now because you were offended. That's somebody that's not grounded enough in their own needs and their own goals. It's almost like I'm trying to make myself better, but I'm not better until you tell me I've done it right. But that, does that come down to this sense of, we'll put it on like a spectrum where people see themselves on and how they will respond to that then in terms of if you're, say, I would say you're further up the spectrum than me to a certain extent uh, in terms of being able to have that aha eureka moment type thing. You, you've It does happen to me occasionally and it, more specifically probably in this platform because it, there is some sort of we could call it safety blanket safety net because it's not live uh and there is no pushback the only person that can either disagree with my, my opinions is you at this particular moment uh, and and that's nothing wrong with that because it's i've been taught to been brought up that way well your opinion matters if we don't if we don't do, 
agree on a certain point we have we have a discussion and go from there and i if we still don't agree at the end of it there's nothing wrong with that but that because that's opinions but to come back to my point brian in terms of this notion with social media uh, does it come down to people being on a, a certain level of spectrum of where they're at to be able to be observant of that, to, to, to be able to take that step back and say, I am doing it for the right reasons. Be it, I've had my Eureka moment, like you said, and if I can help people look at it from that perspective that's a bonus. Absolutely. And people have different levels of self-awareness around what their motives are. You know, people that are very reactive, they cry when somebody else cries. If somebody else gets upset, they apologize whether they did anything wrong or not. You know, there are people that are so beholden to other people's opinions of them that they rarely take the time to figure out what they want because somewhere in their thinking, they decided it's selfish to think about my own needs. I'm supposed to put other people's needs first. And a lot of people that are negative in their thinking are disproportionately reliant on other people's opinions. That's something I've noticed. People that are much more optimistic, much more solution-focused, are much more interested in their own personal responsibility and their own capacity to take action and make things happen. So where would you put a realist then in terms of, okay, that is in terms of where I'm going to come from with that, that this argument now is in, in the definition of it would be from somewhere in between, but then sometimes it could be, it's fear or apprehension to, 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 to actually overcoming something. So you would probably put them more to the spectrum of, of being negative. Well, if somebody's a realist, well, I'm always up for getting into a conversation about what's real. Because we can get into sensory perception, quantum physics. There's a lot in there to really just help you mistrust your own interpretation of data, but in a very healthy way. I'm colorblind, okay? So if I say, you're, you're lying to me, man, you know, you're telling me to see one thing. I don't see that. Therefore, it's not true. My, my eyes can't see the full spectrum of certain shades. My wife can see them. So I can walk around and say, oh, you're full of baloney. You're pulling one over my, you know, you're pulling my leg here or whatever. But having had that test to know I'm colorblind, I now know my eyes don't interpret certain data. Therefore, I know it's out there, but I can't perceive it. So to what degree do I argue that it's actually not there? So realism is very subjective on certain levels. What I'm more interested in is what options are you not allowing yourself? So someone says, I'm just being realistic. Well, what makes you think that your declaration that you can't do certain things is real? It's usually just a limiting belief. You've opened my eyes from from that argument as as an I think my family will use that terminology a lot, and I kind of use it as probably a, a way to hide from the fact at times. So I think you, 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 there's no 
that's kind of sitting on the fence, as people would put it, uh, in uncertain terms. Whereas, whereas I think you, you talk, you're talking and going deeper than that. Once you you actually delve a little bit deeper with whatever the like you were talking about, the realism is, you'll probably go one way or the other, uh, and obviously the that tree, would depend on the circumstance. The tree is nourished by its roots, so it's important for me to go deep and find the root of it. Because you can prune the branches and, you know, make everything above ground look pretty. But if you don't address the roots, things are going to keep growing back. It's going to, you know, keep doing whatever it wants to do. But affect the roots and you change the entire tree. You change the system. And anytime we take on a paradigm, whether it's optimism, pessimism, realism, it's important to have the, the courage to look inward and ask yourself, what do I gain by taking this position? Am I also using this position to protect myself from something? Well, most, and, of the, most of the time when you're probably pessimistic or, or using the term realism, and to some extent probably being an optimist, you are doing it around emotion. Oh, and I'll tell you right now, and I'm the eternal optimist. And my wife sometimes has issues with anxiety and will give into a more pessimistic point of view. And I can tell there are times where she thinks I'm being overly naive or I'm being unrealistic, and she'll just shoot it down, shoot down my position. And I'll say, well, the optimist in me is not willing to give up hope. The optimist in me likes to believe that there's always a solution. So that speaks to the fact that I don't like to feel helpless. I don't like to believe that I am trapped and that there's no way out. So my optimistic position protects me from the belief or the consideration that there may be no way out. So in that respect, that fear of feeling helpless, I'm protected from that feeling through my optimism. So if you are going to take on a position, be very honest with yourself about what's in it for you to have that position. And that probably moves me nicely to my penultimate question to you, Brian. In terms of how would you get somebody to either challenge or change their inner belief then? How, how would you, or more specifically, how do you get your clients or people that you work with kind of change their perspective on, on the way they're thinking? Well, I'd lead them through some exercises to help them get in touch with their core beliefs. The, the decisions about what they can and can't do in the world, how relationships work, how the world works. Now, there are some people that will believe, well, I can do anything I put my mind to. Okay. How have you leveraged that? What have you done with that? Tell me how that shows up in your life. Or they have a hard time asking for help, or they believe asking for help is weakness. So that speaks to them, but it also speaks to their, how they see other people. Hey, other people in my life, if I have to ask for help, that means I have to admit that I, 
I can't do it. I'm a failure. They might think less of me. Well, then I would ask them, has that been your experience? Every time you ask for help, someone says, all right, loser, I'll give you a hand. Do people actually respond to you that way? Well, no, not really. I guess it's more my thinking. Okay, so you're saying that this is an, an issue of perception, not so much an issue of reality. Well, I guess you could say that. Okay, but would you say that? Yes, okay, important distinction. So let's spend some time, if it's just a perception, it's just the way that you've decided, decided is important here. Because it isn't the way things are, it's what you've chosen. And if you can decide one perspective, you can decide another. So is there one that you would like to try on that may work better for you than the one you currently have? Oh, sure, we could try something. All right, what might a replacement be? Well, the replacement might be that it's human and natural to ask for help and there's no shame in it, so on and so forth. Then I'll give them a little homework. Great. What if you acted as though you believe that? What might you be doing differently? Well, I'd be asking for help more. Great. Anything you need help on right now? Who could you ask? You know, so I'm moving them into the, the point where they need to take action on the new belief and the new behavior. Because the quicker they can take action on that and start building up the neural networks to support that behavior, then the previous behavior loses oxygen. So, and there's a lot of thinking behind why I ask the questions I do, but just in general, that is a, a pretty common way I would take somebody through it. And what's really fun about it, and I hope you caught it when I was doing it, is it's driven by curiosity. Just like I was talking about earlier. It's not, man, that's wrong. Oh man, you're so full of BS. You need to stop talking like that. That's just the whole right or wrong dichotomy you know, the whole argument back and forth. It doesn't work with raising kids and it doesn't work very well when you're trying to help somebody learn to free themselves from limited thinking. But curiosity works beautifully. And my final question to you, Brian, before we wrap up the episode, if you have to summarize what we've been speaking about into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Be a lifelong student. Always be curious. Always be learning and growing. Your journey, depending on your beliefs, your journey isn't over until your last breath is complete. So keep learning and growing and being a better version of yourself until that moment. I think it's amazing the way to finish it, Brian. So once again, thanks for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Thank you, James. It's been an absolute blast. All the pleasure's been all mine. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Brian and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at King underscore MSW and at JamesORoberts11. You can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. Do check out Brian's website at brianraymondking.com and again do check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk forward slash free dash resources 
Make sure to check those links out. The links will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category general. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.